I stand up and half of you leave. <laughs> and I haven't even said a word, you're right. That's a good job I didn't start to sing, you'd all have left. <laughs> so, last week then we were looking at the Beatitudes, those beautiful attitudes of a person who is at once both a member of this world, this culture around us, but at the same time is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now, some may have been surprised that I didn't include verses 11 and 12 of Matthew 5 last week. So let's just read them now. Verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so persecuted the prophets, so they, sorry, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now I'm not going to say much about these verses, except just to point out there's a change here. In verses 3 to 10 of the Beatitudes, what we see is our Lord speaking in the third person, in the abstract. These beautiful attitudes, abstractly. But here... He turns to the second person. This is the teacher in me coming out, of course. Um, and, and he speaks to the personal, to the concrete. In a sense, these two verses are a repeat of verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus switches to another thing. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, he says. So in the former, it's because of righteousness, which you remember we are to hunger and thirst after and to be filled with. In the latter, it's because of me, says Jesus. And this is because the righteousness we are to hunger and thirst after and be filled with is the righteousness of Christ. And as we are filled with the righteousness of Christ, so we will grow more and more like him. And then in growing more and more like him, we will more and more become the blessings to the world, he describes in verses 13 to 16. And as we are that blessing to the world, so we begin to expose the darkness of the world around us. And that's why they persecute the church, why they persecute us. So having said that, let's turn to today's reading, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Short passage you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now clearly there's two things here, salt and light. They're different, different in their being and different in their doing. So initially I'll treat them separately and then come bring them both together at the end. So salt. Now salt was a very important commodity in the ancient world. Indeed, up to comparatively recent times, salt was more important and far more expensive. I read at one point that in, at one point in China, it was second only in value to gold, far more expensive than it is today. It's hard for us to imagine a life without fridges, freezers and tin goods. 
But before these were invented, there were only two ways of preserving food. Smoking it, think our blood smokers, or salting it. Just 200 years ago, in the days of Nelson's Navy and so on, sailors' food was salt beef or salt pork. Great barrels crammed with salt pork or salt beef filled to the top with brine to preserve them for weeks, months even, until that ship got to a friendly port and could restock food. So salt, salt was important to Jesus believers and to all people up until recent times. Not only that, but for Jesus, this was a parable in a sense because people knew about salt in his day because right, right not far from where they lived was one of the great sources of salt in the Near East, indeed in the whole Roman Empire, and that's the Dead Sea. Salt was big business in Israel. Great caravans of camels laden with salt coming down from the Dead Sea to Gaza and Joppa to be loaded for that salt to be loaded into ships and go all over the Roman Empire to the armies of the Roman Empire. Because part of the Roman soldiers' pay was salt. That's how valuable it was. And our word salary today comes from the word salt because of that. And that old saying goes right back to then. You say somebody is not worth his salt, it's because these soldiers were not worth the pay they were getting. That saying is 2,000 years old. But what does salt do? Well, first of all, as we've just been talking about, it preserves. If it is present in sufficient strength and sufficient quantity, it stops things from going bad. I want you to hold that thought. But secondly, it purifies. It was an early form of antiseptic. Now, this is almost the same thing, but not quite. Some of you might still gargle with salt if you've got a sore throat. It arrived in ancient times, you would apply salt to a wound to clean the wound before you uh, dressed it in any way. In this case, the salt is not there to stay, but to be washed away and to be taken off again. And thirdly, of course, as we still use salt today, it enhances flavour. If it's applied in the correct manner and the correct amount, then it just brings out the piquancy in the flavour of that food. Think salted caramel. Mm, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it just brings it out, doesn't it? But what does that mean for us? We have to remember, Jesus was not addressing the church as an institution. The church as an institution didn't exist. He's talking to a miscellaneous group of followers, all at different places in their walk with him. And so it is today. His words, these words, are not really for the church as an institution, the church of the Nazarene. It's for you all as believers, as individuals. Living your daily life as both a member of this world and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 13 again, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on the people's feet. Now in this day and age, it's difficult for you and I to imagine unsalty salt. It's almost a, a negativity, isn't it? But in Jesus' day, it's quite a different story. Remember what I said about its value. Now, if a dishonest trader, and such things, such people did exist and still do exist, 
decided to make a bit of extra profit, he might take his tonne of salt and take a quarter of a tonne out of it and stick in white crystals of another kind to, to mix in with the salt. So now he's got a tonne of stuff, only three quarters of a tonne of which is salt. Now, if the next trader does something along the same lines, it's not too long before the salt that somebody's getting at the end is not actually salt at all. And it's barely worth anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot. So how about us? How about you and how about me? Are you salty? Are we salty? Am I salty? Or have I mixed in with my righteousness, that righteousness given to me by Christ when I've hungered and thirsted after it? Have I mixed in other stuff? Stuff of the world. Stuff that rent, weakens my saltiness and renders me unfit for purpose. Have I become unsalty? Because if we become unsalty Christians, then we will fail to be the preservatives in our culture that our culture needs. We will fa fail to bring the flavor of life to other people that they need. We will fail to be the, uh, the purifiers of our culture that our culture needs. There's a really strong historical case to be made that in the UK and the USA at least, it has been the work of individual Christians being salty that has brought about real social change. Think about Lord Shaftesbury, William Wilberforce, John Wesley, William Booth, George Mueller. The list goes on and on. Many of these were actually opposed by the religious hierarchy of the day. Yet they carried on being salty and bringing about social change in their lives. Even in Erskine, in this day and age, we have salty Christians making a difference. We have crisis counselling set up by a salty Christian and run by a salty Christian still. We have recovery church set up by salty Christians and run by salty Christians. We have Jubilee House, not ready to be opened quite yet, but nonetheless set up by salty Christians so that they can make a difference in some small way in our culture, in our world. It's not the church that's done that. It's the individuals. Other things are going right on under our noses, often under the radar completely. Salt quietly and secretly doing its job of bringing healing to a hurting world. And a world that is hurting because of the wickedness of our culture, our society. So I say again to you, how salty are you? How much have you mixed the standards of this world with your God-given holiness? That your saltiness lacks taste. Are you fit for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot? And light. Light is all around us. Light from all sorts of sources. Everything we see, we only see because it is reflecting light to us from one of those sources. And light is a recurring theme in the New Testament. John's Gospel begins by describing Jesus as the light. He himself said that he is the light of the world. Pastor Jim Ritchie in Perth this morning is preaching on that saying, I am the light of the world, said Jesus. 
But here Jesus is telling us that we are the light of the world. You, I, we are the light of the world. And just as salt is doing no good if it's stuck in the salt cellar, so light does no good if it is hidden or off. That's what we need to think about this morning. Here's the light. But no matter how much I click this switch, well, there it is. Doesn't come on or off. And why not? You all know why not. You're looking at me as though I'm daft. It's not plugged in, it's not connected to the source. Of course, in Jesus' day, that source was a little oil lamp normally that developed into lanterns and so on, but still oil-based or wood-based light. I'm old enough to remember gas lamps. Don't say a word, Pastor Norman. Gas lighting both in the streets and the lamplighter coming round and in homes, not in my home, but in holiday places we went to, they were still using gas mantles and I can remember my father having to light gas mantles in the houses in those places. Today, they'll rely almost entirely on electricity. And that's a useful analogy for us. You are the light of the world. You, listen to it, you are the light of the world, Jesus says. And just as light requires power, so do you. Because you are not a sun, you are not a star. Well, some of you might be little stars. Certainly, we had some little stars here earlier. But you are not a power source. None of you are the power source. You are a lamp, a lamp that requires an external source of power, just as this lamp requires an external source of power to be able to emit light. So how do I get power? From whence does it come? How can I plug into the source? There is only one source. Pastor Jim's preaching about it this morning in Perth. The one who said, I am the light of the world. That is the only source. In that statement, I believe he was stating his deity. Jesus is the source. How does he transmit his power to us so that we may shine? By the Holy Spirit. Last week I talked about the first bookend of the Christian life. That bookend is the gospel. I tried to stress how we have no righteousness of our own, but only what God gives us by his grace. How we daily need to come to him in the attitude of that first beatitude, Blessed are the poor in spirit, it says. That poverty of spirit. That absolute realisation, apart from God, apart from God, I am nothing. That leads to us mourning for our sin and our, our shortcomings. It leads to meekness. Because it dispels all pride. And it leads us to hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And what is the result of us hungering and thirsting after righteousness? We shall be filled. We shall be filled. Think back to Pastor Norman's prayer a little while ago about the, the water flowing. I shall be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the problem is, I leak. I leak. Even as I'm standing here, I leak. And that's why I need to be continually connected to the source. I need to be continually being filled. 
That means I need the Holy Spirit working in me, working in my heart, working in my spirit, working in my life. I cannot be becoming, be becoming all that God wants me to be unless I'm continually being led, changed, improved, growing by the influence and work of God. That means I need the Holy Spirit. I need to rest on, rely on him to empower me, to enable me, to strengthen me, to encourage me, to comfort me. Every day I need to be saying, you are God and I am not. You are God and I am not. You are God and I am not. Because unless we do, unless we truly get to that place then the biggest enemy of the gospel starts insinuating itself into our hearts and minds. That enemy is self-reliance. It is the attitude that says, I can do this. We love it when a young child, we saw plenty of those here this morning, uh, that, uh, says to, I, I do it, mummy. I do it, daddy. And so she puts her shoes on. Maybe on the wrong feet, but doesn't matter. They're learning to be independent, self-reliant. We want our children to be independent and self-reliant. We encourage them to be independent and self-reliant. We encourage our young people to be independent and self-reliant. It's all great and laudable, but it is the very opposite in our walk with God. I cannot do this, what I'm doing now. Pastor Jacob cannot do this when he's up here. Pastor Alan cannot do this when he's up here. Pastor Trish cannot do this when she's up here. Joanne cannot do what she does in leading the worship without the daily direct empowering and enabling of God the Holy Spirit. The moment we allow even an ounce of self-reliance to creep in, we fail. And the history of the church is littered with those who have failed spectacularly. Christian believer, disciple of Jesus, attender here this morning. Let me really stress this to you. Your biggest enemy, the tool, the real enemy would use against you the most is this one, self-reliance. The moment, the very moment you start going down that path, the switch clicks off. And if the light goes out, if our light goes out, we are left floundering and the world is left floundering. Without us, there is no light. Without you, there is no light. Without me, there is no light. The world will be plunged into darkness and when darkness will come, chaos ensues. Could it be, could it possibly be that the state of the world today is at least partly because we, you and I, and other Christians around the world, are not the LEDs we need to be. We're not emitting the light we should because we've somehow failed to remain connected to the source. The source of power. And so our light is dim or out. Could it be that the decay we see in moral standards all around us is because, at least in part, we, you and I, and the church generally, it's just not salty enough to preserve it. Do we excuse compromise with the claim that the church needs to move on? That yes, the gospel is the same, but culture changes. I agree. The gospel is always the same, but culture changes. 
And because culture changes, the church needs to examine and re-examine its practices and its activities. But that's not the same thing. Righteousness does not change. Holiness does not change. The righteousness of Christ with which he fills us when we hunger and thirst for it is no different now than it was 2,000 years ago when he lived that perfect life and died on the cross for us. And if righteousness does not change, then neither does sin, neither does compromise. Your saltiness, your saltiness, your ability to shine as a reflection of Jesus in this dark world depends on your holiness. That holiness that comes only from God the Father through Jesus the Son and poured into us by God the Holy Spirit. I can't stress this enough as I said earlier, but I don't want to repeat myself too much. There's a deeper reason for us being salty, for us being clear lights. We need to read again our last verse. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Two Facebook messages that came in over the past 24 hours. I've just, excuse me a minute, I've left my phone in my jacket. Two Facebook messages that came in over the past 24 hours. Oh, wrong code, I'm so nervous I've got my wrong code. The first was put on it by our college principal. And I've saved it, so... Onto for there, onto there, onto there, onto there. See, I'm getting good at this. Deirdre Brown Latz put this on yesterday. She said, I just read this. Madeleine Engel's approach to evangelism elegantly draws on Jesus' own words here. We do not draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want it with all their hearts and to know the source of it. We do not draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. That is, I thought, just fantastic. And it tied in with something I'd read by Martin Lloyd-Jones on this very passage. He was writing just over 60 years ago at the time in the late 1950s and the early 1960s when communism was a very real threat, we thought, with the Cold War and so on. Those of, us, those of you who are old enough to remember the Cold War and so on will remember this. And he says that we will not win our, com our communists over by berating their beliefs and convictions, but only by showing them the grace of God. There are other groups today who are opposed to the gospel, and I believe the same is true. We will not win those opponents of the gospel, whoever they are, over to the saving grace of God by criticizing or condemning them, but only by being gracious to them by shining a light that is so lovely they will want to know the source of it we need to be salty doing good letting our light shine so that God gets the glory a couple of go backs oh, 
Now I've got to find the other one now because I didn't save it. But it came in from Keith. We prayed about earlier, Keith and uh, Lynn and Isla and Paul out there in Burkina Faso this week. And if I can find it, I've got a lot more that's come in since this, since then. Wow, huge amount. Just give me a second as I keep on scrolling. Here I need it there, I think. Yes, here we go. Keith, Facebook this. The new prison director, also a Muslim, he says, is glowing in his appreciation of our work there. He urged our team to send us photos of the welding workshop we started so we can see how well it is going. There's a picture then. It says, here you can see a sitting room suite the inmates have made. He also valued the medicines and food we bring. But perhaps most surprisingly, he is really keen for us to do more Bible teaching and prayer. And he said that even if the chapel we built could be open every day for the prisoners, he would be keen. Thank God it says for the open door we have there. Pray for our team and pray for the work of God in the prison and also in the life of this new director. Yes, here we have salty Christians under extreme pressure. Believers in Burkina Faso making a difference and God being glorified. Because in the end, that's the most important thing. In my life is God being glorified. In your lives individually, and I can't point to every one of you individually, but I am doing, and I mean every one of you, in your lives is God being glorified. Is your light his light? Are your good works salty? Do you know the daily empowering of the Holy Spirit of God as you come to him each day in total poverty of spirit, hungering and thirsting after his righteousness to fill you and so empowering you to be the light this dark world so desperately needs? Will you start each day with the attitude, you are God and I am not? You are God and I am not. You are God and I am not. And then walk through each day salty and light-bearing to the glory of God. Let us pray. Blessed God who first said, let there be light, you are the source of all light, of all goodness. Thank you that you came to earth, blessed Jesus. Thank you that while you were here, you were clear in telling us that you are the light of the world. Thank you that for nearly 2,000 years, the light you lit has not gone out, but has been picked up by your disciples and carried forward, empowered by you from generation to generation. Blessed Holy Spirit, fill us afresh today so that we might be the lights you call us to be and might do the good works you've prepared in advance for us to do, all to your glory, the glory of God. Amen.